This is Owen Tinder Jones. I'm Owen Vaughan Williams. This is Tash Harden. And you are listening to the Owen Tinder Podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest Coleman Had a Dream podcast. We are doing a, a retro podcast today, talking about the Euro 2016 qualifying games, amongst other things. Uh, I am here with Ruth. How are you, Ruth? Hello. Good morning from a very wet Washington state. I suppose I should hammer, hammer home the point where I say I'm here with Ruth. I'm not here with Ruth. We are isolating. <laughs> we are about three and a half thousand miles apart. We are following all protocols. Um, and uh, of course, we hope everyone is safe and well. Um, Ruth, you, uh, like me, watched the Andorra and Bosnia games in the last few days, so I thought we'd have a quick chat about that because our podcast didn't exist back in those uh, back in those heady days. I was still back in the UK, in fact, uh, for these two games. So, first off, uh, what did you think of the Andorra game? Well, first of all, thank you to FAW for putting these on, and um, I, I think it's been great as well that they've been able to add the BBC Wales commentary. Um, I think you might be appreciating a bit more why I love I love listening to uh, to these games via via the radio. So, um, well, we were just pretty dire, really, weren't we, against Andorra? I mean, you f- you forget you forget just how poorly we played in that game. Uh, we looked out of step, out of time. Um, obviously, the pitch was a nightmare and I think Ramsey in particular was having all kinds of all kinds of problems with that surface. He yeah, didn't really R- impact Ramsey the was, game at all. Yeah, he Ramsey um, was all over the show, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um you forget that Chester had literally just started playing for us. Um I mean what a find he turned out to be. Absolutely. Um and I mean it was a, a classic game where we would have made a mess of it previously. I think it was a sign of things to come that we did manage to dig our way out of that terrible hole basically that we found ourselves in. I think what I found most interesting, um, watching having watched the Bosnia game as well today, which I know have you have, and we'll come to that in a sec, um, is how shaky that's the five at the back system looked uh, against Andorra, and how great it then looked against uh, against Bosnia. And I, I will also echo what you said. I think the most entertaining thing about the uh, Andorra game was the commentary, listening to Rob Phillips and. And Kevin Ratcliffe going through that was absolutely superb entertainment on its own. Um, I still maintain, even all these years later, that we shouldn't have played five at the back against Andorra because we just didn't need three people at the back. Um, and there were so many things about that game which I'd forgotten how bad they were. Like the pitch, it was like it was a plastic pitch and it was still cutting up. Like how is that even possible? Um, it was awful. Uh, the referee, my goodness me, had absolutely no control over the game whatsoever. Um, and the way we set up, I, I, like I said this to you at the time, was almost like, right, we'll trial this system out in this game because we're going to beat these anyway. And then we'll have be kind of confident and comfortable in this shape against, against Bosnia. Um, and it kind of, you know, it almost very, very almost backfired. And, you know, you, you, you forget really that... Coleman could well have been a, a Gareth Bale wonder goal away from potentially losing his job. I, I don't think it would have come to that, but you forget almost the the margins of, of how close we were to cocking this whole thing up. Yeah, like I said, I mean, that would be a classic way for us 
to start a group badly, wouldn't it? You know, on paper, the easiest, the easiest game, certainly the easiest away game. And we managed to make a mess of it. I do think it shows a strength of character to, on Coleman's part, to feel that five at the back was the right way to go and not just panic reverse out of it again um, for the next game. Perhaps also the fact that those two games, I mean, obviously we've watched them within a few days of each other, but they were uh, they were separated in in time in reality you know they were they were different international weekends yeah and i think maybe that fact played into everybody taking a step back and kind of reassessing and being able to say no we see merit in this let's stick with our intentions was i think perhaps if they had been back to back games that everybody might have been a bit more gun shy of going straight into the bosnia game a matter of you know 3 days later with the same format no, that's very that's very fair, and uh, and it was interesting. Like you talked about his conviction there to stick with it, I think it was definitely the right thing, and I would have stuck with it for the Bosnia game, were it me. But like I said, I don't think I would have played it, especially in the second half of that Andorra game, where obviously we needed a goal, and you know I felt like we were wasting someone leaving, um, leaving three at the back when we. Uh, it felt to me anyway like we didn't really have much control of the of the middle of the pitch. Um, we were kind of having a back and forth, Ruth, about the substitutions as well, because, again, like, your mind plays tricks on you sometimes. I had forgotten, like, how bizarre those substitutions were. And when Joe Ledley came on, I was just like, I like I, again, you, your mind kind of plays tricks on you a bit. But I remember thinking, like, what the bloody hell was going on here? <laughs> like, it was, like, it worked out in the end, because when George um, Williams came on, he definitely had a positive impact on the game. But when that first substitution was made, I was thinking, what the hell? Like, it was nuts, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, we, we both commented on how strange that was. In fairness, George Williams did make a positive impact in, in both games, actually, when he came on as a sub. Um, but Ledley, Ledley in, the, in the first game, in the Andorra game, not that he wasn't up to playing, but just seemed a weird substitution at a point where you were still looking for the, for the decisive goal. Absolutely. And it was interesting. I like in talking to a few people, I've gone back and thought about it. And I guess the idea was that if Bale went wide, they would take they were two people marking him all the time that would drag people out of position and that left place um, places and spaces for midfielders to kind of push forward like Rambo and and exploit that space. And that's certainly what the aim was, I think, when when George Williams came on. But it's so interesting because then you were having the position where Gareth Bale was having the ball and was putting great balls into the box to absolutely nobody. It was it was so surreal. And, you know, I get the logic, but it was, I don't know, seemed kind of badly drawn out. And more than anything else, you forget how lucky we were as well with the, with the winning goal because, you know, the lad who's jumped out of the wall has jumped out of the wall by a mile and it's definitely the correct thing to do. But that first free kick was awful. And the second one was so good, like the the contrast. If the you know if the referee hasn't made that decision, which to be fair by rights he probably wouldn't have given how bad he was for the rest of the evening, you forget how yeah how this would have gone. And it was it was such a great free kick, but again like so lucky to be in the situation we did. We were sorry. Yeah, no, I can't disagree about the referee. I mean, I think there's relatively few referees that would have given that decision anyway. Um, I do think, you know, perhaps it was one of those moments where the fact that he was clearly out of his depth 
ended up working for us because he was yeah. just he seemed to be confused about virtually every decision he was taking <laughs> um and so you know that was just in some respects another example of that although as you say it was technically the right decision i'm i'm not sure it would have been given you know 95 times in 100 so we were incredibly fortunate i think we were the i think we were also fortunate going forward that the fact that the crowd spilled onto the pitch at the end didn't in the end it didn't actually have a you know there was no formal ramifications of that uefa kind of uh understood the the nature of the the stand and just how poorly it was marshaled and the fact that there wasn't really any kind of screening between that that edge of the stand and the players and and the emotion of the moment and i think that's one of the rare examples of UEFA actually being reasonable about those sorts of things. But I think we were fortunate that that you know there wasn't some follow up um, regarding the behaviour of the crowd because te- you know technically we were we were on the field. It's an interesting one because I remember Kevin Ratcliffe in the commentary saying that like this stadium and this isn't fit for international football, and then that happens at the end, and it's kind of hard to disagree. There was no fencing or netting or. You know the the boards around the pitch were so flimsy. A couple of people lean on them, the whole bloody thing fell down. Like it was it was crazy. Um, I like uh, one more thing to just to go on to the ref before we move on. I thought they were very very lucky to end up with eleven men still on the pitch. I think some of their tackles and like were absolutely disgraceful. Um, but on the referee, do you did you think it was a penalty? I think it was a I think it was a soft penalty. But I think if that's the criteria, I think it probably was a penalty. Yeah. It's a weird one, isn't it? Because I I suppose, again, by the letter of the law, it was a penalty. He's kind of given him a bit of a pull. But I I also think that if you give that, which which he's entitled to do, then you have to give about 10 penalties to each team per game. Like every time someone had a corner, there would have been a penalty. Do you know what I mean? Like it was, it's ridiculous. So for me, for that reason, I don't think it was a penalty just because... You'd have to give ten a game if 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 you if you give that one. So I don't know. I, I guess it all kind of worked out in the end that we we won the game. But again, I'd forgotten. I knew we were bad, but I'd forgotten just how bad we were. And, and you forget as well, like how lightweight that squad is. Um, you know, I thought Joe Allen was brilliant, but Aaron Ramsey didn't have a very good game. He didn't really feel like he wanted to be there. And then uh, the, you know the substitutions, the people we're bringing on to change the game. Um, People like George Williams, I think, was 18 or so, 19 at the time. And, you know, for him to be coming in and that was our impact player, um, you know, it was it was bizarre. I also thought as well, having watched both games again in close succession, our lack of depth is quite stark in that in the, I was amazed that Andy King started the Bosnia game. But I suppose we didn't really have many other options with Ramsey and, and Alan being um, unavailable because I thought he was completely anonymous in in both games and it just shows how much times have changed that then he could be anonymous and he could get a game because we didn't have many other options whereas now we do seem to have some sort of flexibility um in in almost every position in the team yeah agreed it was it it was an interesting contrast wasn't it because i think if you i haven't counted up the numbers but if you did so we probably had more premier league players in in at that point than we do currently. Um, and yet the depth feels better now because we've got, we've actually got some real pressure on, on, on position. Um, 
think what happens happened with Joe Allen's um, injury, his Achilles injury, and the, and the fears we had when obviously the timeline was still looking at games in June. I, th- I think that does show a concern there because if we're if we're playing two holding midfield, that that role is so key. If we've only got four at the back, and I think that there, there remains questions about there, but it is probably one of the few points on the field where we don't have an immediate an immediate substitute and immediate alternative. Um, so I, sp- I suppose times have changed in that regard. No, I guess so, and it's it's still a very interesting time and how that shows the development and how fragile the whole thing was because as you say to move on to the Bosnia game I, I thought the formation and the setup and even with Andy King playing who I still think didn't have a great game the the changes in that team and uh, and the way we played as a consequence compared to how bad that system looked you know a couple of months before it looked very solid I thought and we, we really really played well and you really noticed Joe Ledley's um, athleticism and also Johnny Williams what he did to get around the pitch in the Bosnia game I texted you when we were watching it about Joe Ledley and you can really see the difference it's made him kind of losing that yard of pace because he was he was everywhere uh, against against Bosnia and you can really see that in in more modern times how different his his, his game has become and and why he's dropped out of the reckoning because I, I thought he was absolutely brilliant against Bosnia yeah, he was. It was it was a weird game, wasn't it? Because it was a very ebb and flow game. Like we looked great probably for the first 20, 30 minutes. But for example, in the first part of the second half, we were we were all over the place. It was as though the adjustments that you could see were needed at, at half time didn't happen. Um, and, and the Bosnia-Herzegovina team did make those adjustments that they need. You know, Gunter having had a very f- good first half was effectively out of the game in in the in the second half um so i think there's also i think there's a story here of kind of coleman's maturity and his his making better use of substitutions and making better use of of half-time tactical uh tweaks and things which you which you see much more evidence of later later in in this campaign and, and into the the tournament itself um but to go back to your point about players um obviously at the time you know Led- ledley was a genuine impact player for us and you you put him alongside uh joe allen when they when they were paired up and they really were incredibly important as a duo for us in just holding some there and and buying time and space for for the players both behind them and in front of them they're just so dominating in that regard um i thought uh how robson carnu's substitution i thought was interesting that was a kind of sign of things things to come wasn't it and, and again he had an he had an impact there uh for some reason in that game everybody seemed to have forgotten how to head the ball within the six-yard box. There was just so many chances that we could have scored. But actually, if you if you analyse it, I, I think Hennessy had far more real saves to make than, than their keeper did. I agree, so I, I think a, a nil-nil, when we didn't have Alan, we didn't have Ramsey, I'd forgotten we were without both of them in that game. Um, against, as I think we've mentioned already, the top-seeded team in that, in that qualifying group, um, and ha- and having had a wobbly start 
against Andorra. I think I th- I think the the nil nil was actually a really good result for us. I agree. I think, and the way we played as well inspires so much confidence, and it just goes to show that that setup worked just about one week, and the next the next time we played it, we'd look like it had probably been drilled into us, and it was very effective. Um, it was interesting, like you say, how they managed Gunter because he looked a real threat on the right-hand side during the game uh, in the first half, but then, as you say, was nullified second half. Neil Taylor looked like a different player to what he does now almost. His energy and how well he got around the pitch and his dynamism was really there for all to see. Um, and I'd also forgotten as well the strike that Gareth Bale had at the end. I thought that had just whistled wide. But not only does Be- um, Begovic, uh, the Bosnia keeper, get a great hand on that, you also forget as well that that just came out of nothing. He was just on his own in that half against two or three of them. And like that is just an outrageous strike. But the thing that I had completely forgotten about was that follow-up from that, from that corner, Hal robson Carney was defended that for him. That just basically needs to bounce off the sides of his head side of his head sorry and we win that game one nil like you forget about these little moments it's same with ash's chance in the second half I, that had completely escaped me and it was such a good chance i also thought james chester was absolutely unbelievable i just wondered what your thoughts were on that he seemed to win everything in the air strong as an ox had us organized uh, at the back um and it showed how important he was for us and how important he kind of went on to be for us as well do you do you think the same yeah, absolutely. Lost track of the fact that that was only like his second or third cap. And you just you know, like, what a find. <laughs> what a find he proved to be. You know, that was a, that's a great bit of digging into into his lineage. Um, and uh, I do also think it, it, it also highlights just um, how also how much that five of them at the back needed to grow together. And I think you can like you forget how young Ben Davies and relatively inexperienced Ben Davies was at the time. He was, um, I know Ratsy, the Coventry or someone mentioned that he was basically still at the point where he was just playing cup games for Spurs. And, and you, you forget how much growing he still had to do. Um, so the whole, uh, the whole bat line was impressive, but I think Chester kind of was, a, was definitely a key, a key find within that development. A hundred percent. I thought that you could see there's an instant partnership with him and Ash there. Um, and again, I was going to say the same thing actually about Ben, ben Davis. You'd forget how much um, that still was to come for him and how little he'd played for Spurs and, all, and relatively speaking still for Wales as well. He was he was fantastic and looked very assured with the exception of one or two kind of slips. Um, yeah, so all in all, I, I, it was it, my memory kind of played tricks on me again. I thought at the, from memory that we deserve to lose the game. But watching it back, not at all. As you said, it ebbed and flowed and was very balanced. I think a draw was was probably the the, the fairest result of, of all of them. Yeah, they, they probably had the more clear-cut chances, but we definitely had our chances as well. And it, it could have gone either way. And I think it's one of those games that historically, you know, we would have lost it with a, a goal to them in like, with eight minutes to go or something. And I think the fact that we... we we managed to kind of stem that pattern was really important. No, I, I couldn't agree more. It'd be classic Wales to go on, go on and lose that and, and miss a load of chances. Um, but we didn't. And it, again, it just shows how much we've changed and grown and, and how much better embedded that five of the back system was and the, the obvious impact it had. Um, 
we're going to try and talk about these uh, the rerun games as much as we can. Um, the next one, I believe, is Cyprus, um, which is coming up on Wednesday night. Um, I remember going to this doubleheader, the Bosnia game and then the Cyprus game, and being absolutely delighted that Hal Robson Kanu started the Cyprus game. And, and uh, you could see why that happened. I thought he made a real impact when he came on uh, against the Bosnians. Yeah, I think that little bit of extra height helped. Um, his, I think his interplay with with Bale was was just kind of more on it than what you'd seen with with Church, um, and it was another sort of partnership you could you could see growing, um, and, and you know, and a flow developing. Um, but the. Yeah, I think it's it, like I said at the beginning. It's difficult to see these games now without also thinking about what came next. Yeah, very um, true. but I mean, it, it's also a, a good example of someone who comes on as a substitute, has an impact, and gets rewarded by starting the next game. And I, th- you know, I think there's, um, I think there's too many times when not particularly talking about Coleman now, but I think there's too many times when managers can get dogmatic about that. And I think in in these short turnaround windows that you have with international games, you know, the, the, the player that's on his game at that moment, you can't, you can't ignore, you have to react to. No, I agree. And I, I, I mean, for the whole then, I think he stayed in the, in the starting team for the duration then all the way through and, and obviously include in the Euros. I don't really think he lost his place after that. So um, it showed, you know, if you have that, a good, spell and some form then you're going to keep your place and I think like you say Colm was um, did very well to kind of pick the man in form there and it longer term as we know it obviously certainly worked out for him and us um, I know we are trying to stay as positive as we can with our favourite football things and we'll we'll come back to that later um, I just wondered what your thought might be on football in the lower leagues especially at, at least sorry kind of closing down Um Wrexham's division won't be completed this year and, and it's the same for Merthyr's as well. Merthyr were kind of neither one nor the other. They were neither pushing for promotion or threatened to get relegated. But obviously Wrexham were were way down there and were certainly in danger. So from one perspective, you'd have to say that it's good news really for, for Wrexham. Yeah, it does feel... And I, th- I think really those... Lower leagues, administratively, I don't think they had a lot of choice at this point, but to, but to furlough things. Um, obviously, there's there's a lot of concerns about the wider issues of clubs that are living hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck, as it were, and and the ramifications of that. Um, and I I mean, I think the next thing that we need to see is some sort of um, plan for how how collectively we can we can help teams that are in that position um and i'm sure i'm sure faw and other leagues are, th- are thinking about that because um in the same way that that businesses are, are going to struggle through this if they get through this there's going to be football teams that struggle through this if they get through this um and and we've talked a lot haven't we about how, how teams are reflections of their community and I think as community assets we, we need to examine how how collectively we could we can try and stem um, what might be really terrible ramifications for for some of these smaller clubs 
I couldn't agree more. And it's such a bizarre uh, turn, really, because they are community assets, like you say, and and they do so much for the for the local towns and areas that support them. They support them back. But it's also a strange one in that they're also a business, and mm. it's kind of a, a weird line almost to to draw. Um, I think in the lower leagues, especially, they are more community hubs and they're less run as a business. Um, but something absolutely needs to be done, and I, I don't. I've got a few suggestions um, that will come to later. But I'm intrigued to know what will happen because they definitely need support. And but there's a lot of teams who need a lot of money to make that happen, and I don't really know. I don't really know what the answer is. It's um, it's quite a an odd situation to be in, as as we all know. And you know, we've got to be clear here: football is not the priority at the moment. But with that said. I think the people who are working for those clubs, it, it really is a priority for them. So it's again, it's a weird balance of, of that we're trying to strike. Um, I think looking forward, do you think that the professional leagues, the Premier League to League Two, do you think they should be um, looking at cancelling and kind of sacking this season off, so to speak? Or do you think we should try and complete this season and, and look at an alternative for next season? I think it's a difficult scenario when... Some leagues follow one pattern and other leagues follow a different pattern. Um, so, for example, if there's no going to be no promotion from the National League into League Two, then presumably there's going to be no relegation from League Two downwards. So on that basis, you know, what is the purpose of finishing out those games? Obviously, if there is the potential of promotion, then it's a different it's a different argument. Uh, so I think it's difficult when different leagues do different things. But then equally, s- some teams are clearly businesses. Some teams are clearly community assets. And a few kind of straddle straddle that. Newport might be an obvious example thing that straddles that. Yeah, true. Uh, the, I think the small community teams that, kind of need to furlough and sort of mothball where they're at. I think it's better for them to have a definite decision and know what they're dealing with. If we look at, say, the Premiership as an extreme example, I think the more likely pattern is that we finish out this season, even if we finish it out till, you know, it's into November before it finishes. And then there's some sort of reworking of next season, whether it means we don't have a League Cup and we don't have an FA Cup, perhaps there's even less rounds in European games, or, but something to curtail that season, but in a pre-organised way that everybody is aware of, as opposed to trying to reorganise this season two-thirds of the way through. I, I, I agree with you in, in a lot of what you've said there. I think this season must be completed in my eyes. Um, And I think almost the consequences for next season are almost irrelevant because we've got time to sort them out. I think what's difficult here with this whole situation is that you've got some clubs, like you say, Newport, for example, who are community hubs and and are, are owned by fans and managed by the fans and the finances must be very tight there. Equally, I read today that Bristol Rovers' owner has come out and said the club is almost 25 million in debt. So that is a business. It's still a community hub, but it's a business that's been very, very badly run and mismanaged. So 
there's there's problems beyond what this is creating as well. This is just heightening those problems. I think the difficulty is with a promotion and relegation thing, I think there's an aspect of this where you've just got to say to the two teams at the bottom of League Two, you're very, 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 very lucky. You've got away with it this season. Um, you're not going down. But I think everyone else can play out a set of results as a, as you say whether it finishes by november or not is neither here nor there to me i think for the integrity of the sport you have to finish the fixtures i'm like i don't like liverpool i'm like i'll i'll say that now and i don't like leeds either but if if leeds have a chance to go up this season they need to see that out you know you say what you want about liverpool they're two games away from winning the t- 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 the title I, I, they shouldn't just be given it because that's ridiculous. They need to have earned it and complete it. And if that means that, if the opposite means that they don't get anything, then that's still better than them just being given the title. But I, I still think they must be given the opportunity to do that because the knock-on effects, I was thinking about this yesterday, are just enormous because you have a situation where, okay, say the season gets cancelled, well then Sky is saying we want our money back because we've paid you all this money and we're not going to get the games. Well, if I'm a season ticket holder at Newcastle United, well, if you're giving Sky their money back, I want my money back because I've spent all this time and money going up and down the country paying you for my season ticket and I've got nothing out of it, effectively. It was all counted for nothing. So if you can refund Sky, you can refund me. And where does it end? And I know it's not just about money. But I, I think there's a massive... Uh, I just feel like they'll open a massive can of worms if it's not completed. And I've got to say, you know, if I was a Liverpool fan right now, I'd be annoyed. I'm annoyed as a Newcastle fan because we're in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. And that'll... You know, that's the longest longest wait we've had to be in this round for a long time. And that that's not going to happen. And that's just a minor example of the sort of thing I'm talking about. I also think, you know, Sheffield United, they need to see have this season seen out. They've, they've been unbelievable. They deserve to have the rewards that have come from this. Um, the last thing for me is, and the thing I have a biggest problem with of it all, is that everyone is just in arse-covering mode, and I, and I just can't abide that. Everyone is just thinking, this is going to cost me a shitload of money. How can we avoid it? I'm sorry, but it's despicable to me that the Premier League clubs... I think I read that um, Sky paid something like $780 million, um for the rights of the games that we haven't even played yet. So somewhere in that mix, someone has got that money. Okay, Sky's a business. They were entitled to be bastards about it. But if there's that much money just swilling around in the game, it is absolutely unbelievable to me that we can't do something to support the lower league teams. Uh, like at a point like this, we need to recognize, you know, this is real life now. Sport is obviously a big escape from everyone and it's entertainment to an extent. But this is people's lives. This is people's community hubs. We should be supporting them. We should be helping each other out in this at this point. You know, it shouldn't be every man for himself. And I just, I feel like if you, if Newcastle had to give, all the Premier League clubs had to give five million and that would, drip down the system in some way shape or form from the bottom up to support everyone else something like that should absolutely be happening and i think it's it's beyond reproach for me that that something like that isn't happening for me i am rambling a bit now sorry so i'll stop um but the for me they should see this season out and it takes as long as it takes 
next season, I think there should be an FA Cup, maybe without the, the, the opening sets of rounds, but there should be an FA Cup. And I think what should happen is we should have a half a season. So you don't play home and away, you just play home or away. Some sort of seeding system, so I don't always play, I don't play Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea. I don't play them all away. I'll play one of them at home. I'll play Man City at home and Liverpool away or vice versa. And that kind of a seeding system goes through the league. Um, we can have a proper winter break because everyone's been banging on about how important that is for such a long time. And we can then rest players ahead of the Euros to fill out any fixture gaps. I think Premier League clubs should go down to lower league clubs in some sort of system. And that could probably include a, a selection of clubs in the championship as well, where they go and play some kind of glamour friendlies to get people through the doors at lower league clubs. Um, you don't have to play your Mane's and your Salas and whoever else, but you know it's still big enough draw for these people to come out and watch football and support their local community clubs. I just and that's just something I've just come up with off the top of my head, and I'm sure logistically it's easier said than done. But there isn't a way where we should just sack off this season, in my opinion. No, I I agree about that. I think hopefully from from FIFA and UEFA all the way down. Um, there is some sort of coherent plan. Villages need their need their pubs, they need their corner shops, they need their post offices. Um, but they need their football team and their cricket team and their rugby team as well. Um, and I think your point about working together on strengthening and protecting what we can and supporting each other is really important because if we're not careful, people are going to come out of this with a kind of dog-eat-dog attitude, but, you know, getting overly protective of what's their own as opposed to looking at bigger picture things. Um, and when, as, a, as a community, we can, we can help that. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd like to almost see a situation where every premiership team kind of adopts their local, um, you know, second League Two team or, or, you know, Nation League team or whatever it might exactly. be. Exactly. Newcastle can adopt and, Sunderland. You know, I think that would be absolutely hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Bless them. Bless them knocking around like, in League One. Like you say, guarantee guarantee some fixtures, some glamour friendlies, or pay for, pay for the support of their physios or, you know, do something that's just going to enable the, the clubs to, to not have to pay every bottom line item in the short term um, can still function, but haven't necessarily got the full financial responsibility of functioning. I agree. And like, it just goes to show nothing will ever be good enough for some people. I saw Aaron Ramsey donated £10,000 today to, I think it was um, like a relief fund for the people who were in hospitals fighting coronavirus. Um, and he was getting dogs abuse from people saying, you're a millionaire, you can afford to give more than 10 grand. It just to show, goes to show that you'll never please all the people all the time. There are some absolute idiots out there. And in the unlikely event, Aaron, that you do listen to this, um, we think you're great. So so well done. But um, I, I, it does go to show, like I say, there's enough idiocy out there. Um, I, I think one thing that is guaranteed is that you and I do not have the answers to this uh, to this crisis. But I do think it goes to show that you know, there are some solutions out there and I think people have just got to work together to find them um, and and effectively find a solution to the situation. Um, we are going to stop this one here and we were going to do half an hour, but um, we are going to return with our fo- favourite football things uh, very, very soon. Have you got anything else you want to add, Ruth? No, no. I think just reiterate that we, we realise football is, is down people's concerns list at the minute and uh, 
just hope folks are doing okay. Absolutely. We are doing this to kind of make this whole shambles a bit easier for us to get together and talk about <laughs> football. So we hope we're lightening uh, lightening your days a little bit too. And like, uh, as Ruth says, I reiterate, reiterate sorry, uh, look after yourselves and stay safe. Uh, we'll be back soon with our favourite football things. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.